0: I'm a grateful alcoholic. My name is George. George. Um there's so much. I want to start off with a little bit of history on how I got to do the steps, because I do steps constantly. Uh I'm constantly being reintroduced to them in different ways. The big book was written in nineteen thirty nine and in nineteen fifty the twelve and twelve was approved. That was 15 years of more experience. To me, the 12 and 12 is an addendum to the big book. I will jump back and forth between both pieces of literature because that's what I do. Uh, It's my experience and that's how I've been given the steps and that's how I believe I was introduced to those steps and that's how I've learned to apply the steps. Um, One of the things in our literature, it tells us of necessity in the big book, uh, we we will be discussion of matters medical, psychiatric, social, and religious. We are aware that these matters are from their very nature controversial. Nothing would please us as much to write a book which would contain no basis for contention or argument. We shall do our utmost to achieve that ideal. Most of us sense that real tolerance of other people's shortcomings and viewpoints are, and respect for their opinions are attitudes which make us more useful to others. And it talks about our very lives as ex-problems drinkers, depend on our constant thought of others and how we can help meet their needs. Uh, i got to be very grateful, and I like to say that from the beginning, my sobriety date is January the 19th of 1994, and by the grace of God, the 12 steps, good sponsorship, and uh, a wonderful fellowship, I still have that very first white chip. And... Uh, tell you lots of reasons why, but the truth is I don't have any reason why. All I know is God's grace. Today I know that. I didn't know that during my journey. Uh, I don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. I like to put that clarification out. No one has that right or that authority. Uh, I do have some things that, and the reason I read that, that are controversial. I did not come in through the steps with one-word meanings as principles. I was told that... Uh, and we see them on the walls in many AA rooms. Uh, there are 12 people, principles, and how that came about was in 1953. There was a speaker in California who said, these are the principles behind the steps. Somebody picked it up, wrote a card, and it's been going around ever since. Our literature tells us in the 12 and 12 that AA's 12 steps are a group of principles, spiritual in nature, which have practiced a way of life, can expel the expression to drink, and make the sufferer usefully and happily whole. There are, in the first step alone, and I will be quoting different principles. First of all, I didn't know what a principle was when I got here. I used to happily live in one principle. I used to believe that what's mine is mine and what's yours is going to be mine. Uh, you know, and if it was free and I can take it from you, that's what I did. Uh, I had to find out what a principle was. You know, was when I came in here, I was given a dictionary, a 1939, Dictionary, and a principle is a rule of code of conduct, a a basic truth or an assumption. I had a lot of basic truths, and my truth may not be the truth. And that was what had me confused my whole life. Uh, I walked in here, and there was a man by the name of Bob Welsh, and I can use his name. He's no longer with us. He's the man who carried the message to me. Uh, Larry S., who's still alive. I will not use his last name uh, because he's still alive. Uh, and there's so many other people who, by name, I will not mention, other than if they're not here, like Eddie Dalton, who was one of the editors on the 12 and 12, who I happen to know. And Those were the people that helped me understand what unmanageability and powerlessness was really about. Um, I walked into the rooms and I was told, in our literature, it says, it says we would rather not pronounce someone an alcoholic. I know I had other problems in my story if I was to tell my story, it will tell you a lot about a lot of other substances and a lot of other behaviors besides alcohol. But I'm in Alcoholics Anonymous for my alcohol problem. Uh, you know, you take the alcohol out of the alcoholic, you're left with the ick. I had a lot of ick when I came in here. Uh, I couldn't sit still. I bounced off of the seats. I used to be in a smoking room. Uh, they would talk about God. I would go out and smoke. In a smoking room, because I didn't want to hear what I couldn't hear at that time. So, you know, there's a lot of things that I'm grateful for the love that was given to me by the people that walked before me. I am also grateful for the people that were very hard with me, because I needed that as well. So I had a little bit of both when I got here. Um, It tells us in our literature that it did not satisfy us to be told that we could not control our drinking, just because we were maladjusted to life, we're in full flight from reality, we were outright mental defectors. Now, if you're like I am, I break that down today to something much different. I have a warped perception, I have faulty judgment, and I have a lack of awareness. That's how I walked in these rooms. And I was blaming everybody else for everything I thought was wrong with me. Uh, I started drinking at the age of seven. And... Uh, I didn't believe I was an alcoholic. I knew I had a drug problem. I knew I had a wife problem. I knew I had a job problem. I had a problem with the state of New York. I had a problem with the state of Pennsylvania. You know, I hear people say they come in the rooms and they break—they broke out in handcuffs. I used to say i break out in spots. New York, Chicago, California. Never knew where you'd find me once you put a drink in me. I never knew where alcohol would take me. And I believed alcohol was my solution. There's that warped perception that I had when I walked in here. Um, I'm one of those, in the doctor's opinion, that they talk about with great clarity. Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol, yet they may admit it being injurious, but after a time they cannot differentiate the true from the false. Their false life seems like their only natural one. They are restless, irritable, and discontent. That was me, my whole life. My mother wasn't behaving the way I like, my sister didn't didn't behave the way I, liked. my ex-wife didn't behave the way I wanted, my girlfriends never behaved the way I wanted, my job never behaved the way I wanted, and it was everybody's fault for everything that was going on in my life. And I was very lonely, miserable, empty, shell of a human being for many, many, many years. And it had nothing to do with alcohol. But alcohol took that away from me. Alcohol did not make me feel bigger. Did not make me feel stronger. Did not make me better than I didn't dance any better. I wasn't one of those. It made the noise in my head slow down, and it made me feel normal. That's what alcohol did for me. Uh, I'll tell you what alcohol did to me later on. Uh, you know, and I get to this point of being restless, irritable, and discontent. And a little further on, in our big book, much late further on, uh, it talks about the hideous four horsemen, uh, which is something that I was very familiar with. Terrible bewilderment, frustration, despair. Uh, when I drank, I didn't know who I woke up next to, what state I was waking up in, what was going on in my life, what was going out of my life. I was one of those. And uh, there's a little pamphlet that's around in Alcoholics Anonymous that says, "Are you an alcoholic?" And there's a bunch of questions. Well, I never went to jail, all right? So, and I never lost a job, or so I thought found out later on when I had a little more clarity, I lost two jobs from my drinking and my other activities that I was doing. But I never saw it. And I didn't saw it, see it when I got in here. And I came into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous believing that I was okay and you guys were really messed up. And what was I doing in a room with? And when I got here, I guess uh, I was 44 years old when I walked into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, the people were a lot older than I am. And uh, they were happy And I just did not believe They were not drinking after the meetings They were just too happy And uh, I used to follow them to Denny's I won't tell you what room I came in But I used to go to Denny's and used to have coffee And I used to sneak out behind them And follow them to Denny's And one day they sat me down And invited me over to have coffee with them And I realized these people were really happy I was still miserable I was sitting in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous And I was miserable uh, You know, it tells us in the 12 and 12, and before each step, there's a little bunch of questions we can ask ourselves. And right in the contents, it says, uh, step one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable. Uh, then after it says, who cares to admit complete defeat? Admission of powerlessness is the first step to, in liberation. Uh, relation relation of humility to sobriety, mental obsession plus physical allergy, why must every AA hit a bottom? I like to talk about bottoms. Uh, I'm not going to tell you my drug a Somebody was joking around with me before the meeting about that. I will tell you that the last seven years, I lived under a bridge before I came into the Rooms of the Head. And I didn't get off the streets of New York under the 59th Street Bridge is where I came from, or like I used to joke around when I first got to AA, between East 42nd Street and West 42nd Street, because I used to ride the shuttle from midnight till 6 when the cops chased you off of it, and I was back out on the streets. I wash my clothes and toilet bowls. We all do things that brings us here. That makes me no better or no worse than the person who had two glasses of wine and realized that their life was unmanageable because they didn't do whatever it is they needed to do, and they went to an AA meeting and never drank again. Whether you got sober under a bridge, from under a bridge, or you got sober from, you know, they, they, in the twelve and twelve from Park Place to par, from Park Place, Park Place to Park Road, it doesn't matter. Zero at the very top or zero at the bottom is zero. And that's what i got to remember. My zero is my zero, and that was my bottom. And they told me when I walked in here that underneath each bottom, there's another one, if you're lucky enough to get back here. And I came back into these rooms in a lot of pain. I did not come into the rooms of AA to get sober. I came into the rooms to get my children back. Uh, I came in to deal with my ex-wife. I came in to save the job that was in New York. I came in for every reason but the fact that I was an alcoholic, and I didn't believe I was an alcoholic. And I walk in here with very little respect for the people in these rooms, for myself, and I was one of those uh, uh, people in the, that the big book talks about, defiance is the characteristic of many an alcoholic. It sure as heck was mine. Uh, I was defiant, I was rebellious, I was fighting everything and everyone. Um, Get to the doctor's opinion, still trying to figure out what this unmanageability and this powerlessness is. I didn't learn I was an alcoholic until I sat in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous long enough to realize I was an alcoholic. I can't tell you when that happened, but I realized in the doctor's opinion, um, um, they talk about the five types of alcoholics. They talk about five different types of alcoholics. They have the type uh, who's always going on the wagon for keeps. They're over-remorseful and make many uh, resolutions, but never a decision. There's the type who is unwilling to admit that he cannot take a drink. He plans various ways of drinking. He changes his brand or his environment. There's the type who believes that after being entirely free from alcohol for a period of time, he can take a drink without danger. There's the the manic-depressive type, who is perhaps the least understood by his friends and about whom a whole chapter could be written. And then there are types entirely normal in every respect except the effect that alcohol has on them. Uh, They are often able, intelligent, and friendly people. Uh, When I sit and look at that, throughout the different times I drank, over the many, many years that I drank, uh, I was each one of those types. Now, that doesn't confuse me enough. Then they get to uh, page 20 and through 22 in the big book, and we have three types of alcoholics, which I love. There's the hard drinker. First, you have the moderate drinker, uh, who have little trouble giving up liquor uh, entirely if they have a good reason for it. They can take it or leave it alone. I can tell you a story about my sister who used to drink, and one day she met a guy, she got married, she doesn't drink She's, I guess, what you would call a moderate drinker. Uh, there's a, uh, there is a certain type of a hard drinker. He may have the habit bad enough to gradually impair him physically and mentally. He can cause him to die in a few years before his time. If a uh, sufficiently strong reason, ill health, falling in love, changing environment, or warning of a doctor becomes a, a, a operative, this man can stop or moderate, although he may find it difficult and troublesome. He may even need medical attention. And then there's about the real alcoholic. I'm a real alcoholic. I'm the type of guy that can act pretty normal in most cases, but put alcohol in me and all bets are off. I never know how I'm going to act, and I never know what I'm going to do. Uh, I can tell you I can have a drink. And something may happen, and something may not. Uh, I can tell you many stories that I look back now are pretty funny. Where I sat and drank bottles at a time and didn't get drunk, and I can tell you about the times I had two beers and I parked my car sideways on uh, on on a, on a uh, street in Brooklyn. I mean, those things happened to me, and uh, so I was a real alcoholic. And I was that Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I never knew when uh, that these things were going to happen to me. Uh, then. A little later on, for the people that are married, there's the four types in to the wives, which is the same thing, the moderate, the hard drinker, but they're talking about how the wife sees it. And then, am I an alcoholic or not? And I sat in the rooms and trying to figure out if I was an alcoholic. Listening to all these types, it still hasn't given me a definition of what an alcoholic is. Uh, I sat through the big book because my sponsor suggested I read it. And then I got to page sixty-two where it talks about selfishness and self-centeredness at the root of our troubles, that we're driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, and self-seeking. We step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation, but we find out, we inevitably find out that we made decisions based on self which later placed us in a position to be hurt. So our troubles we think are basically of our own making. And the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, although he usually doesn't think so. Uh, The man who carried the message to me said, George, that's your page. Write your name on the top. Read that every day. Because I did not see what I was doing. And it took me a long time to understand the disease concept of alcoholism. Um, I had a lot of problems with that. One day I was talking, and he's still around, and his name is Hollywood Henderson. For you who know him, was still speaking at a meeting, and he talked about, he knew he was one of those people who had the, the he talks about the warp lives of blameless children, because his mom took out a shotgun and shot at his father. And, uh, he told that story at a men's meeting that I was at. I was about a year sober, and, uh, went through my steps, thought I knew AA real good, and, uh, said to him, uh, Where's that in the book? Because I was always told if somebody says it's in the book, ask them to please show it to you. And I went over to him, and uh, he showed it to me, and I sat there and argued with him for about a half hour that it wasn't in my big book. And he suggested that I go home and read it and call him the next day, and uh, I went home and read it. Not only did I have it highlighted, I had it on the and I still didn't see it. And I started understanding the illness. Even though I was here, and even though I didn't drink, I was still miserable because I really did not know what surrender was about yet. Uh, You know, I got to that point where we talk about the illness, and I started understanding the orbit of the alcoholic. We don't talk a lot about that in AA. I wish we did more. Uh, The orbit of the alcoholic, it talks about the illness, how it affects those about us, the way no other human sickness can. If someone had cancer, we're all sorry for him, but not so with the alcoholic illness. For with it goes the annihilation of all things worthwhile in life. Uh, And and it goes on to say, it engulfs all whose lives touch the sufferers. It brings misunderstanding, fierce resentment, financial insecurity, disgusted wives and employers, warped lives of blameless children. Anyone can increase in the list. And Bill Wilson is very smart because he knows us pretty well. And when he has a thought, he doesn't say it once, he says it twice, and sometimes he says it a lot more than that. but a little further on in the book, he tells us: "In uh, the alcoholic is a tornado running, roaring his way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken, sweet relationships are dead, affections have been uprooted, selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in tor- turmoil. We feel the man is unthinking when he says sobriety is enough." That was my big thing. I stopped drinking. Why can't I speak to my kids? Why isn't my ex-wife talking to me? Why isn't my job wanting me back and offering me a raise? You know all the insanity of what was going on. I like to tell stories about my unmanageability my first year. Uh, I could not go to a, uh, into a movie theater for my first year and a half, I worked in movie theaters and I knew the guy up in the projection booth was getting high or drinking. I didn't go into a bowling alley until I had about eight months and I definitely couldn't go to a bowl, uh, pool because I did all my drinking in there. And. Uh, that's my walk perception of what was really going on in my life. And I, when I finally got brave enough to do those things, I did them with a group of people in AA. And that's where the fellowship came in. But I remember my first Christmas, and I went over to my uh, mom's house, and I walked into the bathroom. I had to go, and I went with another alcohol, and I opened up the medicine chest, and there was a whole bunch of medications. And I looked at them, and I looked at every bottle and knew what they were and counted the number of pills in there and put them back. Then I walked into the kitchen and picked up a bottle of uh, of, of alcohol and said to my mother oh I don't do this anymore and I put it down and I went home and I called my sponsor, I was real proud of myself and said you know hey, da da da." and my sponsor said George why don't you just go out over to the porn shop buy yourself a gun, buy one bullet put it in there, spin it, and put it against your head you're playing Russian roulette I had no idea what I was doing how I was fighting with myself for a pat on the back for something that I shouldn't have done in the first place and, and, and that's what his sponsorship gave me, and I'm real grateful for that. Uh, you know, it says in our literature, you know, that we've warped our minds into such an obsession for destructive drinking that only an act of providence can remove it from us. Uh, I was so destructive, not only in my drinking, my thinking, my actions, my behaviors, for so many years, that's what was normal. I lived on the streets. When I got here, I could not understand how to make a bed. I had to be retaught how to make a bed. I couldn't read my first six months in recovery uh, because my head was so messed up. I was so busy. Uh, it, tells, it says, We know that little good comes to any alcoholic who joins A unless he first accepted his devastating weakness and all its consequences. Some of the consequences I like to talk about. The reason my children aren't in my life is a direct result of my alcoholism. The reason I ended up with hepatitis C is a direct result of my alcoholism. Uh, The reason that uh, my job didn't want me back is a direct result of my alcoholism And the list goes on and on and on and on I didn't speak to my family for my first two years of recovery. I made my amends I couldn't be around my sister. My mom forgave me, you know There was a lot of damage that I created and it is a direct result of my alcoholism But uh, as I stayed here a while talking about that first step There's a lot of things that I would have still done Whether I was drinking or not because I didn't have a design for living and that's what this Program has given me in that first step, and by making that surrender and trusting someone else, uh, I started getting a design for living. Uh, You know, Bill's story. It says, in page five, it says liquor ceased to be a luxury, and then a little later on, it says gradually things got worse. Shortly after, what I was drunk again. That was me, over and over again. You know, and uh, we read more about alcoholism on page thirty. Uh, They talk about a whole bunch of my favorite words. Obsession, illusion, insanity, delusion, incomprehensible demoralization. And then on the next page it talks about all the different ways we try, drinking in the morning, only drinking wine, switching from one thing to another, taking a trip, not taking a trip. Uh, Those ideas had to be smashed. And that's what I lived in, those old ideas. So I had reservations, so I didn't know how to surrender. Uh, My surrender did not come easily. I thought if I got my kids back, I would be okay. I thought if my wife would let me talk to them, I would be okay. I thought if my job would call me back, I'd be okay. I was working uh, in a little restaurant for $2.11 an hour. I worked uh, for $11 a day when I got sober. Uh, Then I worked in another restaurant, uh, somebody from that restaurant is here tonight, uh, that I was around for a while and I was waiting for him to get here. I always told him there was a seat, eventually people get here. Some people that are lucky enough, other people go out and die. And I believed that I was going to die if I drank again. That was the one thing I did believe. Uh, you know, and the things that were going on in my er- early recovery really goes back to more about alcoholism. Uh, the old pleasures were gone. They were my memories. We could not recapture the great moments of my past. I still was living in the past. And I was worrying about my future. So I could not get into the day. That 24 hour clock was a hard thing for me to do. There was a surrender to the process of that. There's a lot of surrenders. Uh, you know, it talks about until he so humbled himself, his sobriety, if any, will be precarious. Of real happiness, he will find none at all. Proved beyond a doubt by the immense experience, this is a fact of AA life. The principle, we shall find no enduring strength until he first admits complete defeat, is the main tapper root from which the whole society has sprung and flowered, until I was willing to say that I could not drink safely. Now, I can go into an AA meeting and make that admittance that I'm an alcoholic. Knowing it in my head and knowing it in my heart is what got me in AA. I knew it in my head, but I didn't believe it in my heart. Until I can turn that around and get that belief that I knew what I did and what alcohol did to me and what I did to others because of alcohol, until it was in my heart, there was a reservation. Well, I'll tell you, six months. I walked out of an AA meeting and I served with papers to give my children up. The reason I came into AA. And at that moment is when I turned around and I said to somebody, I was a little angry and I threw some chairs and said a few things that weren't nice. My language stunk when I got in here. That was something I had to clean up. And a uh, guy said to me after uh, his name is Ben Teague. We just finished the traditions. He say, he has to sit down and talk to me, and he asked me one question. He said, "I got a question for you." I said, "What's that, Ben?" He said, "What kind of custodian were you to your children?" I said, "Well, I did this and this and this." And he said, "I didn't ask you what you did. I asked you what kind of custodian you were to your children." And I found out I was an absentee parent. The same thing that I swore I'd never be is what I became. I was not emotionally available for my own children, and I really hurt. And uh, 28 got real for me that, you know, the big book talks about you stand at the jumping off place. Can't imagine life with or without alcohol. That was the day I stood there. And, uh, I made a new, uh, new surrender. And I believe that was my first step right then, because I was told after that I had no more excuses not to, to drink anymore. I gave up my last reservation. I came in for my children. They were taken out of my life. If I didn't drink that day, they told me I had no more excuses, um, We'll talk more about my children as I go through more steps. Uh, it says, uh, showing from your own experience how the queer mental conditions surrounding the first dream prevents normal functioning of the willpower. I can tell you that I wanted a drink that day worse than I ever wanted a drink in my life. I wanted to run away. I wanted to stuff every feeling I had. I wanted the pain to be gone. And they told me to embrace that pain and make a surrender. And I surrendered to a sponsor who made some very simple suggestions. He wanted me to read five pages a day, pray in the morning and at night, ask for help and say thank you, go to a meeting and call him. That's what I did for my first bunch of months. I got into the steps. Uh, after I read the first 164 pages, I sat down with uh, Larry, uh, Larry S., and we did formal steps. I had uh, Bob W., uh, Bob Welsh, who worked with me on a spiritual basis from the day I walked in these rooms. I was his pet project, they used to say. Uh, I'm giving my children up in recovery. I've come through major illness in recovery. I cut my hand off with a circular sore in 2001, uh, where I lost the ability to work. At six and a half years of sobriety, I was living in a car. Lost a girlfriend, lost a house, lost the ability to work didn't know where I was going to be. Uh, a lot of things happened to me in my recovery, but none of them was a good enough excuse to pick up a drink. Uh, you know, so as I got here, you know, in page 142, and this is what Bob did to me, and this is the same place Larry did it to me in. They went to page 142 in our big book, and it says. Uh, be assured that we do not intend to lecture, moralize, or condemn. If this was done formally, it's because of misunderstanding. If possible, express your lack of hard feelings towards him. At this point, you might well explain alcoholism, the illness. We talked about that on page 18. We talked about it in the doctor's opinion. The first 64 pages is based on uh, the first, second, and third step mostly, uh, but usually a lot about the first step. Uh, say you believe he's a gravely ill person with disqualification being perhaps fatally ill. Uh, does he want to get well, you ask, Be- uh, because many alcoholics being warped and drugged do not want to quit, does he? I said yes. Will he take every necessary submit- step, submit to do anything to get well forever? I said yes. The man I said it to said, you're full of junk. I cleaned that one up. Uh, and But I'll work with you anyway. And... That forever thing scared the hell out of me. This is not—we well, I gotta be careful how I say this. This is not a one day at a time program. Uh, It's a lifetime program. We work at it one day at a time, though, and that's real important. Because if I was doing this for one day, why would I stay? I'm here for over 15 years. The reason I stay is because it gave me a new life. It gave me a new way of looking at life. It gave me a life that I can plan a future on. I just don't plan outcomes. Uh, I work at it on a daily basis. He says yes. Does he really mean it? Or down inside, does he think he's fooling you? And after rest and treatment, he he will be able to get away with a few drinks now and then. We believe a man should be thoroughly probed on these points. Be satisfied he's not deceiving himself or you. Uh, The same questions are asked on page 112, page 90, 116, and 96. They all talk about quitting for good, forever, for always, uh, you know, but we work at it a day at a time. That 24 hour clock was very hard for me to grip. I could not think of three hours when I got here without a drink. I couldn't think of three seconds without a drink or some other nonsense going through my brain. It took me a long time to be able to go a whole day. You know, I remember at 10 months calling my sponsor and saying, I didn't think about drinking today. And he said, Good, whatever you did today, do tomorrow. I didn't understand that, but you know what? That's a lot of tomorrows, and I haven't really thought about a drink in a long time. The thought will cross my mind, but I've been given such wonderful gifts of tools through the steps, through sponsorship and through the fellowship, that I know what surrender is. You know, we talk about... I said something about principles when I came in here. I want to end with a bunch of principles that are in the first step, not just honesty, although that's the one we always hear about, In the 12 and 12, you'll hear about defeat and surrender. You'll hear about powerlessness. You'll hear about admittance. You'll hear about sufficiency. You'll hear about your will. Acceptance, humility, strength, happiness, purpose, confidence, conviction, willpower, truth, hopeless, desperate, unmanageable, control, action, confession, restitution, tolerance, meditation, prayer, God, sacrifice, open-mindedness, practice, and honesty. There's a lot of principles that are in that first step. And as we go through these weeks, I'm going to read lots of principles. And when we get to the last step in step 12, there's about 196 positive principles that if I apply in my life, my life becomes good. And that's where I learn about being humming, happy, joyous, and free. Uh, thank you for letting me share on step one.